Welcome, friends, to our podcast, Cheeky Vibe, Peaceful Life. My name is Michelle Moss, and I have a guest host, hostess today named Ray Smedley. Hi, Ray. Hi, Michelle. And we are so excited to be at the CLE Urban Winery with Destiny Burns. Hi, Destiny. Hi, ladies. We are thrilled, and we are drinking Pinot Grigio, which is very, very tasty, good wine. So what kind of, how much fun is this to have an interview and be able to drink some wine and meet amazing, amazing people? At, at a beautiful location. Right, so the CLE Urban Winery is in Cleveland Heights, and um, if you're out and about, this is a beautiful up-and-coming neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Destiny just shared that there's some new um, new growth coming, and it's expanding. And how far away from your winery do you live? It's about a five-minute walk. Okay, so yeah, even very in the close. winter, you're walking? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost never. I, I seem to always have a lot of stuff that I'm carrying. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, wine, drive. taking it's wine home or terrible. bringing wine in or whatever. Supplies, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay, so um, Ray and I were here for a, a music wine day because Ray had a couple of friends playing here. Well, some of our friends were playing here too. And it was such a great experience. And we happened to meet Destiny. And not only does Destiny um, own this winery as a female-owned business, she also has some really exciting background as far as she was in the military mm -hmm. and she was a firefighter and so we want to hear a little bit about that so did you have a military background how did you and what branch were you in how did you navigate from growing up to 20 years in the military okay so I grew up in Euclid that's my hometown mm -hmm. and when I graduated from high school um, I wasn't really ready for college. My grades were kind of, you know, I didn't know what to do. And it was my father that suggested the military. Mm -hmm. And uh, it ended up fitting me like a glove. I joined the Navy. Mm -hmm. And I was in the Navy for 20 years. I joined the Navy as a Russian linguist. This <gasps> is in the, you speak Russian? Uh, I used to. This is in the good old days of the Cold War. Oh my gosh, right? you know, I was born in Germany. My dad spoke Russian, Germany, Czech. And he was an interpreter. That's what they called it. Yeah. So I was a I was a, a basically a, a cryptologic interpreter. That's um, so cool. In the good old days of the Cold War. So I, I was enlisted for nine years. I earned my degree part time, and I became an officer. So I retired as a lieutenant after twenty years of service. Um, and then I was in the D.C. area when I retired, and I just transitioned to be a defense contractor. So um, I had a security clearance for all of those years because I worked in the intelligence community. So I transitioned right over doing business development and that kind of stuff, um, strategic planning and, and strategic communications and marketing and all that kind of stuff in the defense industry. So I worked at big defense firms like IBM and Northrop Grumman and General Dynamics, and I did that for 13 years. And uh, I married a Marine when I was 21, and uh, he and I raised a beautiful daughter. And after 26 years of marriage, when I was working in the corporate world, uh, I got divorced. Oh. And uh, it ended up being a really good thing. It was very mm -hmm. amicable. It was very good for both of us. But um, so I found myself in my late 40s, you know, kind of starting, starting over. So I was still working in the corporate world. My daughter had just kind of finished with school, and, and that's when, um, you know, trying to discover who I was after a 26-year marriage well, as you know, a single woman. I was going to say, not only that, okay, military, they tell you who you are. 
then you went into you know, you know being married and then that I was, was in, a, role, in the corporate in hamster corporate. wheel so yeah. then it's like wait a sec where do I go from here yeah and just who was I as a woman you mm-hmm. know as an independent single woman in my late 40s because I got married when I was 21 mm-hmm. you know so how to be single again yeah it was it was very daunting and I really needed to find myself again and community service has always really been a big part of who I am since I was a child and uh, I knew that in order to find myself again I'd have to include that kind of component after my daughter went to high school I lost a lot of my community involvement type of activities when she went to college you know I was a Girl Scout leader I was a band mom I as, was a PTA as moms, mom you know that's so our role it was a lot yeah. of mom centric stuff yeah. that I was doing and when she went to college all that stuff ended and then my marriage ended and then I found myself in this place where okay who am I I need to figure out who I am again and I needed a um I was working crazy hours, a very full-time job, but I needed some kind of volunteer activity that I could really sink my teeth into and just kind of get my groove back. And I found out about Sterling Volunteer Fire Company, which is a um, volunteer company that was about half an hour from my home in, in Virginia. And I joined as a as an administrative member, as an associate member at first. So I was helping with fundraising and training and, and stuff like that. And because of my military background, they asked me to help them start an honor guard. So I, I started an honor guard, and um, Wait, what is an honor guard for with, those you of know, us? You know, carrying the flag, and instead of rifles like you do in the military, they had axes. You know, it's just like a like a for like parades, for, yeah, and for parades and ceremonies and stuff like stuff. that. Yeah. So I helped them, you know, figure out how to do a you know about face and a you know how do you hold the flag and you know because I'd done that in the military. So I I was the commander of their honor guard, and doing that, I, I invited operational firefighters to be part of the honor guard. So I got to meet them. I got to go on a couple ride alongs, and I'm like, this is awesome. You got the adrenaline rush. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try to become an operational firefighter. So I transitioned my membership over. And even though I was 47 at the time, they... um, Wait, hold up. I want our listeners to hear this. (laughs) At 47, Destiny reinvented herself and went out and didn't let fear hold her back. Oh, I was afraid. But you didn't let... (laughs) Hey, you didn't let it hold you back. That's the point. And you what? Became... An operational. I became a recruit firefighter, yeah. And um, so I did that for two years. Um, part-time at night because I work you know my full-time day job and then the they had career firefighters that worked during the day at this company and then the volunteers um, ran the the company at night, ran calls night and on the weekends <laughs> at the time can and, I ask you something mm-hmm. going doing this and you know being a part of this you know you were doing the honor guard was there something about you is there something about you that said hey I can do that I'm gonna prove yourself, prove to others. Is there a piece of that that comes? Yeah, and it fit me like a glove because, you know, the, the fire service is very paramilitary. It has that rank structure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it, it kind of, I slipped right back into that kind of military Familiar. familiarity and I really understood it and, and it was a physical challenge. It was an extreme physical challenge because I'm 5'3 and a little curvy and, you know, 80 <laughs> pounds, 80 pounds of gear and trying to get up on the into the truck and, mm-hmm. you know, climbing into the hose. I mean, that was really hard work, climbing ladders with my, you know, little legs, stocky little short legs and... It was really a physical challenge for me, but it was also a mental challenge too. You've got things like, you know, confined spaces and heights and, you know, Heat. all that kind of stuff. And it was, just, it was a crazy thing to do. Wait, but wait, what was the most scary or challenging thing that you did in the firefighting realm? Not take dealing with people or whatever, but in the real live Probably the one, the one thing that sticks out in my mind um, was... Uh, um, we're, it was a training evolution, and you know those those tower ladder trucks, 
you know, they have the big stick ladders, right? There, this one was 105 feet fully extended. And we did this training evolution where we had to climb to the top of the ladder and we had a, a belt around our waist with a big carabiner. And the training was to teach you to trust the equipment. So I climbed to the top of this 105-foot tower shaking? ladder. Were oh my shaking? God, I was ter- I'm terrified of heights. Um, it, it was about at a about a 40 degree angle, so it was not straight, but but pretty you know um, steep. And then I had to clip in with the carabiner onto the, the the ladder and then let go with my hands. Oh my! And trust the belt, trust the equipment, because when you're sometimes you're up there and you're on a ladder, they teach you how to anchor yourself safely on the ladder so that you can use your hands for tools or to help, help people or whatever. So the evolution was to get all the way to the top. And then clip on, clip onto the ladder, and then let go with your hands and lean back. And I was absolutely terrified. And then I got myself down on the ground again. <laughs> I and I can't to this day. I can't believe I did that. That was completely insane. I've also been in like confined space mazes, you know, in full gear and on air, trying to navigate my way in the pitch dark, you know, through a mm. confined space maze. I mean, things like that were just really, I can't believe I did that. So how much of your military <laughs> background helped you with those heights or dark confined spaces? Or- Zero. I mean, I was in the intelligence community, so I spent my career in like windowless rooms. And, <laughs> dark you know, windowless rooms. Yeah, so it really not. wasn't... Um, no, it didn't no prepare me for the fire service other than, you know, the environment and understanding, you know, a paramilitary rank structure and understanding how to take an order and, you know, you know, given that kind of stuff. I understood that perfectly, but it was really a physical challenge. But these are some of the best people I ever knew. I mean, these are true heroes that volunteer their time. We had to do the same training, have the same certifications, had to do the same shifts, run the same calls, have the same kind of stress, except we didn't get paid. You know, our training and our gear was paid for, but, you know, we were also working to raise money to buy new trucks, and we were also, You're you doing know, doing those things. other things, too, to make the company work. Were and you still was, working your other job? Oh, yeah, corporate. I was working 40-plus hours a week full-time. Wow. This was all nights and weekends. and it, But it was so great, and through that process, I really did find myself again. Um, was I, that keeping busy to avoid thinking all your thinks and feeling all your feels? To keep no. busy 40 hours a week plus working all those nights and weekends? No, it definitely wasn't an avoidance technique at all. Okay. It was just to get my groove back and to sink no, myself, sink my teeth was. into something meaningful and mm-hmm. something impactful and something, you know, I, I needed that to find myself again and figure out who I was outside of being a wife and a mother. And that is, again, another important thing for our listeners to take away. It's, you know, when they're lost or, or, or they don't know where the, to go, you know, you went and found something mm-hmm. that was important, impactful, passionate. And it was tied to my core values. You know, mm-hmm. like I knew I needed those things in my life and they would have been missing in my life as my kid grew and as my ex-husband departed the scene. You know, I, that was a huge chunk that was missing from me to make me a complete person. So I went to find it. And I'm so glad I did. But as I approached my 50th birthday, I just had to, you know, be realistic that I just couldn't keep doing that to my body. Eventually, I was going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. And this was, I was doing some, a lot of really risky stuff. And, and with my, you know, physicality, um, it just wasn't easy. And I decided, since I'm my sole caretaker, I decided that it probably wasn't a good idea to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. So if I wasn't going to do that anymore, I switched back to the administrative side. 
of the company. I, I, I was with the company for another couple of years after that, but I stopped writing Still volunteering. Uh-huh. And I decided I needed to do something else. So for my 50th birthday, my, um, my two sisters who live here in Cleveland and my daughter, we all went to Vegas for my birthday. And we fun. like lived like ballers for three days. Like we had a, a suite at one of the hotels. We had limos. We had good all stuff. that stuff, right? A cabana at the pool. And you know, my ulterior motive to doing that was having them around me, my three most important you know women in my life, and trying to figure out what I was going to do next. Because I couldn't stay on that corporate hamster wheel anymore, and I couldn't do firefighting anymore. So what am I going to do next? So after that weekend, I decided I was going to come back to Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I decided I was going to leave my high-stress job. My initial thought was I'd go to culinary school because I had GI Bill benefits and I could go to culinary school and it would be paid for. And then look for a maybe start a business after that or something. But um, the opportunity presented itself for me to keep working at my job from home. This is be- way before COVID, and that was common. Um, it was very uncommon. But I was traveling a lot, and I was able to keep my job with General Dynamics for another year and, and work from home. So I, um, I decided instead to just work on a business plan and to launch my own business. So, because um, I had about a, a dynamo, I had I mean. about a year to figure it all out. <laughs> I still had a paycheck, you know, and uh, I just settled into my home here in, in Cleveland Heights. Like because I said, I of live family, five because minutes of from family. here. Yeah, I, Cleveland was always my home. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter. I lived in Virginia for what seventeen years, but it was never home. Mm-hmm. You know, it was always just where I was living. Cleveland was always home, mm-hmm. and my family's all here except my daughter. She and her husband live in Virginia still. They live in Richmond, mm-hmm. um, but I was living up near DC before, and it just wasn't didn't feel like home. Cleveland is home, mm-hmm. so I wanted to come home. And uh, you know, my mom was not well, and she's much better now. She's mm-hmm. she's oh, doing good. really well. But um, mm-hmm. my sisters, my brother, and my niece and nephews are all here, so this is my home. So when I decided I was going to move back and start a business, I got serious about it and I started to put a business plan together. I'd always wanted a, you know, I had this someday thing in my head about a food or wine related business, maybe a, maybe a little small restaurant or maybe a B&B before Airbnb you know, was a thing or maybe a little tea house or maybe you know, a wine shop or you know, I don't know, something like that. And I had books on the shelves about open your own business and blah 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 it was just kind of like a there's always a kernel there yeah Yeah. there's always a little kernel there and um I looked at the market here in Cleveland as I was putting this plan together and I didn't want to do a restaurant because there's so many great restaurants in Cleveland and that's a red ocean of competition very difficult business I decided not to do that um but I love the brewery culture here it's you know, a big like this culture. neighborhood alone there's three breweries yeah. you know and they're just popped up like mushrooms all over the state and um, if they make a good product and they serve a neighborhood they thrive mm-hmm. so I figured if it works with beer why not wine and we love our wine because I'm more of a wine person than a <laughs> beer person but I was never classically trained in wine I don't know how to make wine all I ever did was like bought it at the grocery store or like would go visit wineries you know on the weekend mm-hmm. or whatever I mean I was a very just casual you know wine drinker you know and uh you know I'm I'm the lady that goes to the grocery store and it's like okay I'm gonna have steak for dinner and I think I want a cabernet and I want to spend about less than 40 bucks and ooh, that label's really pretty you know and, and that's how most people buy <laughs> yeah. wine right they I buy, have been guilty yeah. of that yes they I buy wine with their eyes you know right. and the second time they'll buy it with their palate but the first time they'll buy it with their eyes so that's the kind of background I had and that's the kind of place I wanted to create a place a place that where we had good wine, but it was very 
um, fun and accessible, and the there wasn't it wasn't pretentious, and you know, because wine can be very scary and intimidating, and we wanted to just remove all of that, just well, make, it, definitely make it make it a craft it fun. brewery style fun. place that mm-hmm. gave you that tap room feel, but it was we were making wine mm-hmm. instead of beer, and. Um, I luckily when I decided I wanted to do that I was able to find a fantastic winemaker his name is Dave Mazzoni he is a Cleveland boomerang like me grew up here left and came back Um, but for me I went in the Navy to get out of here he actually as a young 20 something went to Napa Valley Mm. and he went to the Culinary Institute of America out there and got his education he worked his way up through a vineyard out there and and learned his trade came back to Ohio he worked at Debonay as their assistant winemaker Mm. he was head winemaker at Thorn Creek in Aurora for several years you got married there Mm -hmm. yeah Thorn Creek is beautiful (laughs) and and Dave worked there for several years and then Mm -hmm. um, he was in went into wine distribution for a few years and and that's where I found him and and snagged him and brought him back to to winemaking so he's been with me from the very beginning he helped me design this place Um, when I decided I wanted to do this I looked around Cleveland for a location I I looked in Little Italy I looked in uh, Van Aken and the Sacred Heights kind of area because I'm an Eastside girl all the way I knew it had to be somewhere near where I bought my home here in Cleveland Heights and I was just like going to dinner in the theater one night and I saw this old garage. This is an auto repair garage formerly. This is space. that what it was? Mm-hmm. Oh For a hundred years. Wow. Um, it was actually a working garage about 10 years before I rented it. Um, called Hollis Automotive for mm-hmm. about 40 years. But going back 100 years, it was an auto repair garage. Because this has got like eight inches of concrete on the floors. It's you know got these steel beams and wood Very and, industrial and, and brick. Cool. And, and it was really suited what we wanted to do. And the look, and, yeah. And it was didn't look like this when I rented it. It was big and open and raw and dirty. But you had but the, I don't know. I had this kind of looked in the windows as I was going to the theater one day. And I'm like, you know what? That might work. And uh, fortunately, I was able to, um, you know, I wrote the plan. I was able to get a, a loan to start it up and with, with my own life savings as well. Because I'm 100% owner of this business. Mm-hmm. Um, me and, well, the bank owns my ass. But, um, <laughs> but I you know, love I'm you, 100% you, owner yeah, of the you business. You weren't afraid. You didn't yeah. rely on anybody else. You no, put it I all just, out there. I just um, did it. So I call it Good Wine Made Fun. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. celebrates Cleveland. That's the second tenet of the business is I wanted to celebrate my hometown. I wanted to bring something special and new and unique to my hometown that I love so much and that was always in my heart no matter where I roamed around the world. And uh, if you notice, the, you know, the labels and the names of the wines all have some kind of climate homage to it. And the, but the local art on the, on the walls and the local businesses that we partner with and the, the local musicians that play here and we're all about local and we're all about Cleveland and celebrating Cleveland is really important in what we do. So the third tenet of the business, and this goes back to who I am and what I need to be a complete person, is to drink wine and do good. There's a philanthropic <laughs> portion of this business that How is part of the business plan. Drink wine and do good. Yeah. So okay. it's I made it part of the business plan that there would be a platform for, for philanthropy in my business. So, you know, I do try to donate to as many causes as I can. I can't support everything or else I would go out of business. Right. But um, I try to also um, have a couple of key um, philanthropic partnerships that I try to put more emphasis towards so I can make a bigger impact. Um, one being Dobama Theater. They're a black box um, off-Broadway theater that's right here in our neighborhood, a nonprofit. And they're always doing very interesting. They do like they did a whole season of women playwrights. They do Ooh, focus that. on a lot of diversity, and they're just a really fantastic company. And since I opened this business, I've donated all the wine to their bar. 
Wow. So that's one big philanthropic. That's huge. Partner. Yeah, it's a big financial commitment for me, but it's it's a way that I can really make an impact in the arts in my own neighborhood. Um, another that I work with a lot is a nonprofit called Graffiti Heart. Mm-hmm. Probably knows there's a lot of graffiti murals mm-hmm. on the wall in here. The one that's right above the winery windows was the first one I commissioned through them, the mural I commissioned through them. When they were just starting, I was just starting. And um, I've commissioned the rest of these murals through them as well. And they raise money um, through the commission of these murals, plus um, promoting graffiti as an art form and helping to get artists recognized and work and stuff like that that work in this medium. And uh, we've also done a couple of fundraisers together because they also raise money for um, scholarships to the Cleveland Institute of Art for underprivileged high school students to get a taste of what a career as an artist is like. We need to come to some of these fundraisers. So they actually have their Graffiti and Grapes, their annual fundraiser is in April. I believe it's the 21st and the 22nd. I'm a wine sponsor of that. I will be there. I think we're going to do a live painted um, graffiti barrel to auction off for their auction. So I always, I've always um, made it a point to be a community partner of theirs from the very start. We kind of start, started together. So they're another one that I, I really put a lot of emphasis and support into. And the third big one, I would say, is the Cleveland Food Bank. I love the Cleveland Food Bank. I love what they do. They help so many people. So I'm always a part of their, you know, market at the food bank and taste of the browns and all of those, you know, collection of food. And all cool. the, I really try to do as much as I can to support the Cleveland Food Bank. So can I ask, where did you get this altruistic heart? Was it a family thing? Was it something that you saw, learned? Intrinsic. Where you know, did it come if I, from? If I really look at the the kernel of it, it would have to be my mother. Mm. You know, and it was never a choice for us to be like through our church. And you know, you were raised. That I was way. raised in the United Methodist Church, um, uh, St. Clair. You know, uh, Nottingham United Methodist Church was my home church when I was growing up. And I was always in youth group, and you know, so there's a lot of, of community service through that. You know, I was in junior achievement. I was a Girl Scout. I was, you know, my mom um, volunteered with the Red Cross for many years and dragged us around, you know, doing Red Cross stuff. And you know, so that was always just a part of my. But DNA. it's led you to who you are you know, and from, your jobs and all the things that you've done. It's well, I think it's really piece. important. Um, this is getting a little bit off topic, but one thing that I have recently done, which is kind of like my. After becoming an entrepreneur, it was kind of like my next reinvention, is I just wrote a book. Did you? And it's in the process of being published right now by oh, we have so um, much to talk Newman about. Springs Publishing. <laughs> and uh, it's called My Why and I, A Rebel's Guide to a Why-Centered Lifestyle. So what this book is about, it's, um, it's kind of looking back over, over my life and tracing these roots and... Um, Figuring out, you know, I've come to the point where I live my life centered on my why and my core values. And that is a lifestyle choice that I've made. Just like, you know, people make a choice to become a vegan or, you know, for example, and they eat certain foods and don't eat certain foods and they live their life in a certain way. She's speaking our language. I do do that along with my, my why and my core values. And I looked back over my life and all of the things I've done and why I've done it and I discerned this process that I have used over and over and over again. So I... This book is like part memoir. Say it again, the name again, My Why. My Why and I. A Rebel's. A Rebel's Guide to a Why-Centered Lifestyle. And it should be available for sale on like Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all that, probably within the next 30 to 60 days. 
Um, it's almost, it's like it, with the publisher, it's completely done. But um, so the book is part memoir, so it tells a lot of these stories that I've told and a few more, like when I was a, a Mae West impersonator in my 20s. <laughs> um, a few other stories. I'm an exchange I student when I was in high school. You know, there's a few other stories in there mm-hmm. that, that add to the fabric of my life. But um, and then I talk about the process. So um, the six, there's like a six step process that I look back over my life and I realized I was doing over and over and over again. The first is to um, know your core values. Because it's kind of like the compass that you follow, the compass that that guides you in your life. Who are you? What are your core values? And mine are to make a connection. That's my number one main core value. Well, you do it well, my Mm -hmm. friend. And I feel most like myself when I'm doing that. The second is to build the future. I'm always looking three or four steps ahead. You know, planting seeds today that will germinate and grow tomorrow. That's just who I am, and I need to do that to be myself. The next is to achieve every day. So I'm always doing something every single day that's going to achieve something or accomplish something or help somebody or something. You know, that achieve every day is very important to me. The next is to be positive. So I think attitude is everything. Mm -hmm. So I'm most like myself when I'm in that positive frame of mind. And, uh, And then the last is to deliver. You know, accountability is really important to me. You know, do what I say I'm going to do. Talk and, it in, but then follow of through. That, follow through, you know. Mm-hmm. So if I can live my life according to those four, those five things, that's the compass of my life. Mm-hmm. And then the second step is to define your why. So if the core values are the compass, then the why is the needle. You know, it's the needle on that compass. You're talking, you I, do you know how many times in go? therapy I say the whys? We have to get to the whys of the situation. <laughs> yeah. So the whys We don't even know, needle. but you're a ther- you got the therapist's heart, right? I think I do, actually. Yeah. Well, you know, I've spent, I'm almost 60 now, and I look back on my life, and I have this experience, and I have this process, and I just felt, I wrote this book in the last year because I felt this need to share it, mm-hmm. you know, as part of my why, what my why was calling me to do. It's not like I don't want to be a winery owner anymore and do what I'm doing here, but it's like it was an additive thing that mm-hmm. I really needed to do, mm-hmm. and my why was calling me to do it, so I did it. Um, so Follow the, your heart. So once you define your why and you know what it is, a lot of people are too scared to do anything about it. So fighting your fear with mm-hmm. facts is my process. So if I'm stuck, if I'm afraid, if I'm, you know, like when I was, I was a firefighter and I was scared to listen to this mm-hmm. stuff. And, you know, but I just learned, I trained, I got facts, I got help, knowledge I got knowledge. And it helped me to proceed anyways. Because courage is not, you know, the absence of fear. It's proceeding anyways. You know, so... Um, fighting your fear with facts is my, you know, my method, and I have in my book. There's a bunch of tools to do that. Then um, the next is to make a plan because once you've decided to proceed and you you kind of got your fear in in check, then it's not going to happen by accident. You know, yeah, because like, you even said you, you had a, a business plan, plan right. already before plan. you got your winery. You had a business plan. Yeah, every reinvention I've gone through, I've had a plan. You know, like even when I was an exchange student when I was 16 years old, I didn't just get there by myself. You know, I had to raise money. I had to do this. I had to do that. If I wanted to have that experience, um, then I I had to have a plan. So making a plan is a really important part of the process because hope is not a plan, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can hope and it's never going to happen. And then the next step is, um, is to stick with it because once you have that plan, stuff's going to get in your way, like me and this business. Oh shit! There's a pandemic, and the mm. governor says you have to close your doors so how, for three how, and a half how, months. What was the timing on for that when you started your business? Uh, I was three years in. 
So three years in, three still years newbie, in. really. Yeah, yeah, still and close your doors. Yeah, close your doors tonight at 9 p.m. indefinitely, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely not in my plan. So mm-hmm. sticking with it and figuring out how to handle that crisis and how to recover What'd you from do? that crisis. Did you do some, did you pivot and do some new things? Well, I mean, I, you know, doggy paddled like crazy mm-hmm. and went to online stuff like that but I what I really did and this is in my book is I used this method and this goes back to my days in the in the corporate world when I was doing strategic planning there's a crisis strategy um, framework called DSRO so the D in DSRO is defense so when a crisis happens like the COVID pandemic you know and the lockdowns and all that I went into pure defense mode you know just surviving you know doggy paddle pivoting doing everything I could to I have a lot of overhead here. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to lay off. Did you my, get to utilize any of the the government help? Oh heck yeah, good. Yeah, I I, I was in the government for all those yeah, years. You know I know how to, how to navigate it. a government yes. program, so I was right on that stuff. Yeah. I, I got my fair share. Good, but I worked for it. Yeah, it's again, it's make a plan. And you, you can't sit plan. back and wait for it to happen. No, it's not going to fall in your lap. No, no, no. So, the first phase, I was just in pure defense. Right? And then when, when the gov- governor allowed the businesses to open again and we had to figure out how to do that safely and how to, you Drink know. Drink wine six feet apart. You know, it's very difficult. Um, then you move into the S portion of the strategy, which is stability. You can't go straight from defense to offense. You know, like if I tried to recover the, when, when the minute we opened our doors, that was never going to happen. It was going to be counterproductive, right? So the S is stability. So for the next, like, nine to 10, 9, 10 months or so, I just was day after day trying to figure it out. How do we keep things clean? How do we keep people safe? How do we operate, you know, in this environment? How do we, you know, and and every day we learn something different, you know, and it was just like stability, just trying to keep the ship upright, just trying, I wasn't doggy paddling anymore, but I was just, you know, (laughs) trying to keep the ship upright. And then um, after that, you can move into the R phase. So about a year and a half after the lockdown, I started to move into the R, which is reset. So this is where you kind of take the like our event, like doing events here in the space. I, we reset our policies, we reset our pricing, we reset everything in this new reality. Um, I decided to pull all of my wine out of wholesale distribution because I really wasn't making any money doing that. You know, Heinen's was making all the profits. So I decided I would sell all direct to customer. And uh, and then, so I, that was a major reset. And so we spent about another six to nine months just kind of resetting these things to be ready to then take some steps to grow. So it was just really um, this January or so, um, three years after COVID hit, that we're back into this, okay, now we're stable. We've reset, you know, some key things in the business model and, and stuff. Now in our staff and other things, now we're ready to really take those steps to grow and try to re- really recover what we lost way back here. But that strategic framework and the sticking with it, you know, it it, it saved me from going crazy. Because you could have said whatever. It slowed I can't me it. down, yeah. right? And I was able to be a, a lot more deliberate. One. And, you know, through that stability yeah. period was where I was just trying to get as much aid and help and resources and, that, and information as I could possibly get, you know, before we were resetting things so that we could then be in a position now, three years later, to do some new things and take on some new programs and do some different things. So... Um, While keeping up with all your altruistic things. Exactly, exactly. Can so, I ask you, other than other than the pandemic? So then, well, the last step is, oh, offense. Oh, I, you know, I, I so didn't now we're ready 
to be on Get out and do your thing. So, so that is part of one of the things in my book that helps you with the stick with it. And then the last um, component of the process is to listen to your why. Mm. So I, I always say I like to, uh, my why is kind of like this metaphorical locket, and it's right around my neck, and I can kind of feel it right here. And I listen to it. It speaks to me. Mm. And I change and move along with it. And keeping that relationship and understanding when it shifts, understanding when it changes, like this calling I had to write this book. You know, I, I didn't have to upend my life to do it. I added it to my life so that I was continuing to follow the compass that I was meant to follow. So that listening, it's like the maintenance part of the process. It's like getting maintenance on your car. You know, if you have a shiny new car and you have your shiny new wife, you don't maintain it and change it the tires out. and, yeah. you know, if the oil changed, you know, it's eventually going to be you know, dead on the side of the road. So that last step really makes it a lifestyle. So that's that's what this book is about. And then the last part, part of the book tells some stories about people that different phases of life that use some of the steps that I mentioned and that I I helped counsel and... and, and uh, Gives a roadmap a little mm-hmm. bit of somebody else. Yeah. Okay. So other than the pandemic, starting a business, what has been one of your heart has it been hard with keeping employees like what has been something that's been like oh like the the thing that kind of sometimes keeps you up at night other than the pandemic which was a big (laughs) kept us all up at night but as you know in general um well I guess, I guess like it's really understanding how to run a business when I started this business I really didn't understand so your thought about into. the reality and the reality yeah. of it. I mean, this is a very complicated model that I dreamed up out of my head. And um, understanding how to um, calculate our cost of goods, understanding how to un- you know understand how to make this a profitable enterprise, how, under- all of those things and working with accountants and other professionals to figure, that was very, very difficult. And I'm still learning something every day. Um, I've really taken to fight my fear with facts like I do. I've taken advantage of a lot of uh, opportunities to learn like through Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program. That was very helpful. I've been in the Entrepreneurs Organizations Accelerator Program for the last five years where I get you know quarterly training and mentoring and accountability groups and others yeah, working with- for some of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, other working with um, you know entrepreneurs in my phase that are built businesses a million dollars or less, but working with EO members as mentors who have businesses that are a million dollars or more so that we can aspire to get to that place. And you're learning almost like mentorship. Yeah, and and that has been an invaluable resource for me to to try to understand because and and they don't tell you how to fix your stuff, you know, the it's a very gestalt type of organization where it's about experience sharing. Like, all entrepreneurs go through the same crap, usually, mm-hmm. you know? Like, everybody has HR issues, and everybody has financial issues, and everybody has supply chain issues, and everybody has customer issues, and every, you know, marketing issues. Everybody has those issues. Don't, doesn't matter what your business is or, or what your product is. And if you can, like, have a mentor who can say, okay, when I went through that, this is what I did. You know, you and then you can take that experience and apply it to your own situation. Or being with other entrepreneurs in, a, in an accountability type setting, 
where you can share your concerns and issues with each other and share experiences in real time about, okay, I encountered that, this is what I'm doing, you know, and really help each other um, with that. That has been an invaluable resource That's for a me. huge support network, yeah. having a support network. And Cleveland is one of the best places I've ever seen, and I've lived a lot of places, where you can tap into that kind of support. And there's, there's so much. There's Small Business Development Center Network that's through Cleveland State. There's the Women's Business Center here in Cleveland, ECDI. There's, you know, there's so many resources and opportunities to get help as an entrepreneur that this is a really good place to be a small business owner. Well, I love this entire space, and I can't wait to bring more friends here. Now, we've talked a lot about business, and you've talked, you, you are a talker like I am. We said that in the beginning. <laughs> but I want to ask you. Mm-hmm. You do. You work a lot. You're thinking a lot. You're lay awake thinking. You're doing business plans when you're not even in that business yet. So tell me what you do for self care and downtime. Oh gosh. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> I'm working on that. Right, <laughs> well, those that of is... us who are in that realm, we get yeah, it. We, we're trying to. That's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love music. Mm-hmm. Music is my thing. And so then you incorporate having musicians come in here yeah, and art, I love artists come in here. Music so then it's is, yeah. Is my thing. It's a win-win. And I love to, like, travel for concerts. Mm. So I'm a huge fan of the Foo Fighters. So I've been devastated about Taylor Hawkins Mm. passing. And um, I I was in L.A. for the tribute concert um, that they had for for Taylor. And I actually am planning a road trip um, to hit three Foo Fighters concerts this summer. (laughs) So me me and my friend. So... Getting out and doing those kind of things, being able to immerse myself in my favorite live music, you know, that is something I so do. So when you're for, in that moment, you're in the moment, you're not thinking mm-hmm. about this, that, or the other. You're enjoying the music, enjoying the vibe, and being in the moment. Yeah, I, I, music just does that for me. Mm. I just, I love live music. Um, when the pandemic hit, I, I'd always had dogs all my life. Mm-hmm. And my daughter used to have a, a pet sitting company. Mm-hmm. So she had out with dogs and cats. And, and she suggested mm-hmm. that I should get a cat. And I'm like, you know, cat. I never had a cat before. But I got two kittens um, in July of 2020. And I learned very quickly that cats are not dogs. And I had to really, (laughs) I was not a cat person. But I have to say, my my cats are actually very lovely companions. And And you can be gone and they're they're, good. Yeah, they're they're fine. So you have your pet therapy, but you don't have to have all that time consumed exactly much much easier than dogs actually but mm-hmm. but they're actually very lovely little companions and um you did better than most you said you've said three or four things so i'm i'm very impressed and the thing <laughs> i did most recently is um you know i especially in the last couple of years where i've been more like just trying to get ready for this offense period the stability mm-hmm. and the reset you know mm-hmm. portions i was just go 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 like my office was basically a big chair in my living room and all my crap was spread on the coffee table and mm-hmm. had my my laptop there and, and it wasn't it was kind of a chaotic kind of environment and I'd get up in the morning, I would start working and then I'd be, Oh, I gotta be at the bar now, so you know, I'll close up my laptop and come over here and work here until ten o'clock and then go home and you know, try to eat something, go to bed and start over. Doesn't you know? sound healthy. So it was not healthy. Um, so I recently um, 
we recently did, like I said, some shuffling here of our staffing, so it's enabling me to work less behind the bar and be more focused on business growth and mm -hmm. business development and, and um, like partner relationship development and things like that, which I, which I think I'm personally much better at. I was never a bartender. I'm not a good bartender. Don't ask me to mix a drink. I'm pretty terrible at it. <laughs> um, but um, You know your limits. I, I know my <laughs> limits, right? But it's not my thing. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't start this business to be a bartender. I started it to make a connection, right? To, to actualize my core values is why I started this business. And uh, yeah, so I recently built a, a home office for myself. I had a bedroom I wasn't using for mm -hmm. anything. And uh, I just put some very nice things in there, got, you know, it's just pretty. very pretty and very comfortable. I, I literally did that about two weeks ago. And it's transformed the way that I'm working. It's one of those organizational things. Yeah, that I have a very releases the chaos. And, and I, I, I got away from like the television was in the living room, so I got away from that. I've got a little like a DVD player where I can watch my favorite movies, just kind of there on the side. And I've got you know beautiful lighting, and I've got my my papers, and I'm getting so much done, and I feel so much less stress. So, I mean, I'm really glad I took that time to just create that space mm -hmm. that has been very impactful. And that's 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 even a coping, putting it together, organizational, mm -hmm. putting aside space so your house isn't full of papers and chaos. And, and now the living room is much more serene and calm, yeah. too, because yeah. I don't have crap all over the yeah. place. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I know. It's, it's. I wish I would have done it, you know, years ago. I don't well, know why it took me seven you years it. to it's do all good. it, but I finally did. And so that's self-care, I think, when you it, it create is. that space for yourself it that complete you can be more effective and more calm. I love that. Now, I've been talking and we've been talking. Anything that's coming up in your mind, right? Well, I'm just really curious about what's next. What's next? What are you, what are you thinking about for the future? Because we know you don't sit still. <laughs> no, I'm always bu I'm, you know, building the future is one of my core values. Well, I mean, I'm going to be doing this for quite a while still. Um, I still have a lot to do, a lot to, to um, accomplish here. And, you know, I have a, I actually have a dream of potentially franchising this business wow. into other cities. That's a what I call a big, hairy, audacious goal. That is a, you know. Well, you're speaking so, into existence, into the universe. Yeah, so that's something I'd like to, you know, to look into as the years, you know, go forward. Um, and then I think this book is really going to take me into the next phase of my life. More as writing? A, um, I think coaching and speaking mm -hmm. like mo I, I think I could be a really good motivational speaker um, I, I don't could. know mm -hmm. I don't know how to do that so I mean it took me a year and a half to figure out how to write a book and how to get it published and I'm almost to that finish line so you know I think I'm gonna pick away at that as I do this well I have some events coming up we can have you come speak I would a love great that. story see look this is how it works yeah I would love that and I think that's how I get started just organically yes. and and like you said it's connections yeah through those connections, connections and and I'll start that organically and then hopefully that'll grow into opportunities for me to help others achieve this Y-centered lifestyle that has been so foundational for me and my fulfillment as a human, as a woman, um, and I'd love to share that knowledge. And I think as I get older and I can't do the physical things that I maybe like carrying around boxes of wine and I'm, they're heavy. Um, this is a very physical, demanding empty. job, you know, so I, I think I'll do more of that thought work and more of that, you know, sharing my experiences and I'd love to do more of that as I get as I get older um, and maybe write more and maybe, you know. Well, mentorship is wonderful because, you know, we can't give, I always say this, we can't give our 20-somethings what we know. 
from our age because we've experienced it. You know, but we can give guidance and support. It's that, it's that gestalt. It's that experience mm-hmm. sharing. Oh, I was going to say that. You use a lot of psychology. I love gestalt. One of my favorite uh, therapy styles. But um, you use a lot of counseling type <laughs> techniques and all I of this. I guess it just comes naturally to me. Yeah. I, I, have a, I have a business degree. I have a public administration, you know degree i never studied psychology i was gonna say did you study a lot of psychology because even knowing some of this stuff it's pretty amazing no it's just what i've picked up through through my life but i've always done a lot of you know mentoring type of activities like being a girl scout leader and you know things like that i have clients i want to put a group together with women who don't know where to go and boy could you give them a talking to yeah i'm actually gonna you know when i when i'm looking when i was looking at you know how do you become a, a speaker you know, how do you find a stage? I realized I have a stage mm-hmm. right here. This winery mm-hmm. is a stage. Mm-hmm. So as I'm rolling out the book, I'm going to do a book launch here. Um, oh, I'm and going to have, mm-hmm, and I'm going to have some workshops. You have to invite us related to. I actually have a Facebook page called My Lion Eye. You can mm-hmm. follow that on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's um, dates already for workshops on all those stages of the process that I mentioned. So I'm going to do that here at the winery just in a very casual way just to kind of see who's interested and who wants to get together as a group and kind of talk about it and and look through through these tools that I've put together and see how they can be leveraged in people's lives. you know, so I'm going to start small like that and Did I tell you using this stage. You're a dynamo because I don't know if we've had too many breaths in this conversation. You are amazing. Yeah, I, I can talk. I love it, but there's so much passion. There's so much learning to be to be shared. There's so much experiential stuff that 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 is so valuable. Right. Mm-hmm. People are ready to hear it too. So yeah, this is and, a perfect time. That model that you said, and I can't, D, DSRO. What, DSRO. I think we could all live by that, and for you to share that with people. You know, our listeners need to hear this and implement it. And we always say, don't let fear hold you back, but you've got all these things, these steps that really take us to the next level mm-hmm. as long as you breathe. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Achieve every day. Yes. And so, anything well, else, Ray? Well, I, I'm, I just want some, you know, hard and fast, hard and fast times. Do, you think in the next couple months you're going to have a book launch? I know that our listeners are going to want to know when that is. You don't know when that is right now. Well, um, the the book, I chose a publisher. It's Newman Springs Publishing. And um, they are in the process of putting the final manuscript together, you know, together for publication. It'll go um, out on... Um, Amazon and Barnes and Noble and you know different platforms. will be is it a hard um, book or is it a online? paperback? Well, it's it's you know there's a workbook element. Like, okay. There's actually like prompts for writing yeah, and for yeah. tools. It so is, it's yeah. got a workbook element to it. Again, so it'll be a paperback. Therapy piece, mm-hmm. journaling. It'll be a paperback, <laughs> and then we'll also have an ebook, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to do an audio book with them as well. So nice. that'll be. So you're going to record? Af- no, actually, oh. they have um, professional actors, voice actors that they oh, use. You could do this. I could, but that's not their process. Okay. So, um, but I get to select the voice actor. Okay. I get to have Listen. creative control, yeah. you know, of the of the voice actor. But um, so the the paperback and the um, ebook will be out first, and then the audiobook will, will come out sometime that. after that. So I figure um, it'll probably be another. 30 to 60 days before so I actually before have summer. the physical before book summer. in my hand. Um, so if you um, go on to Facebook, my Y and I, you can Why? like it and follow okay. it, and all the information will be on there. It'll also be um, on our CLE Urban Winery website. I'm going to have a, my Y and I page on the website because I'm going to use this stage yes. to do workshops you and, and other things. Why not promote? So, you know, do a little 
have a glass of wine and have a little round table of people who want to, you know, figure out a way to, you know, actualize their why in their life and make it a lifestyle choice. Um, use this use this stage to, to do that yes. and to just another connection, another community. So do you need a therapist to ever come in and speak? See, I'm gonna re- ask you to return the favor. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is collaboration in the best way, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I think that the the threads from the past always kind of for me continue into the future, and um, you know that that's part of that build the future, you know, core value that I have. So I think those threads will continue as I go forward. Well, so we need to watch your Facebook page mm-hmm. for the book launch. And, and the book launch will be here, I'm sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it'll, So we'll you have that CLE, CLE Urban Winery, or the My Why, my why and, and I, I is my Facebook. Facebook. So, mm-hmm. okay, so they can follow along with that. Yep. And we will be following along with yeah. that. Yeah. So 60 days, maybe. Oh, my it's very goodness. exciting. So, like I said, before summer. Mm-hmm. This is so exciting. And it, and I love your passion. You are excited about it. I am. And, you know, I am. but what I want our listeners again to hear is you are excited about every single stage that you've done in your life. And that's why it's so powerful when you think about it as a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It's not like a second act Mm -hmm. or, you know, like if I could only lose weight, I'd be happy. If I could only get rid of my ex, I'd be happy. If I could only move to a new... Those are what's, you know, Mm -hmm. those are not whys, Mm -hmm. right? And making that choice, that deliberate choice every day to live in connection with your compass and the needle and follow that where it's pointing you, it's a conscious choice you have to make. And you have to take deliberate steps in order to stay aligned with it when it shifts. I love that. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to buy the book, and um, read it and utilize. I learn from everybody I meet and utilize some of this even for my my clients. This is wonderful. And I mean, I use the whys all the time, but this is the same. It's a little more. It it's more practical, and it, it yeah. kind of goes back, I guess, maybe to my. You know, military background or others. Yeah. I'm very process driven. I'm very, you know, you're an interesting. I'm, I'm rebellious, but I'm also very process driven. You're, you're practical, but you also are a dreamer. Mm-hmm. You're very oh. creative. So I'm a visionary. You have, a, you have a, an interesting mix of both. So mm-hmm. that's that's what you need. Yeah, and not being afraid. And I, mean, I, I always it. go back oh, to I'm, that. I'm afraid all the time. No, nope, not being afraid to let to make it hold you back. Right. I always say, it. don't let fear hold fight you back. my fear with facts. Yep. Yeah, I'm afraid all the time. Like mm-hmm. owning a business and like. It's a lot of responsibility. I, yeah. I mean, I have people counting on me for their livelihood. I, my whole life savings is in this business. If this fails, I'm screwed. You know, so I'm afraid all the time, but I don't let it stop. And you know what else? Even if, God forbid, something terrible would happen, you, you are a visionary and you would have something else up your sleeve tomorrow. <laughs> Because that is what we, we I'm always building see. the future. That's yeah. one of my core values. Yeah. I always think looking ahead. three steps You're living ahead. in the moment, but you're thinking ahead. Yeah. Which it's prepares us true. for the future. I always like to say it's kind of like a mirage off in the distance. You know, what I want to do next. It's I can't see it 100%. You know it still there. hasn't revealed itself, but I know it's in that direction. So I don't take steps that way. I take steps that way. Toward so I'm it. going towards it until it begins to reveal itself That's a, a good little analogy. bit more. So I love that mirage analogy. That really mm-hmm. helps me. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. awesome. You are really inspirational. For sure. I can't Thank wait you. for our listeners to hear this. Okay, one last thing. Any we we said a lot of a lot of things that our listeners could do if they wanted to start a business. But is there any bottom line? You've got all these, you know, these steps and all these different things. Anything that you would tell our listeners if they're on the precipice and they're anxious and fearful what would you say to them as far as moving forward to take that next step i would say that the biggest thing is to do your homework Mm -hmm. a business plan is not just like 
the, the fluff on the top, you really got to dig into it. Like, what is your market? Mm-hmm. How are you going to make money? Who are your customers? Mm-hmm. And not what do you want to sell them, but what do they want to buy? Mm-hmm. And important. why? You know, like really digging into it and understanding that. I, I probably didn't do that as well as I should have, and I did it later in process. You know, so if I had advice to go back and do it again, I would do even more homework. Knowledge is coming. And, and, and yeah. learn more about it. I just kind of took the leap, you know, yeah. and, and learned as I went. But, but, it, but it worked for you. It did. And, yeah. and I think that's because I just have this very tenacious, don't give that's up kind I of love attitude. Tenacity. So, you know, <laughs> I, it, was not a, you know, it was not a failure, or, you know, yeah. an option to fail. So, um, but I think that would be a piece of advice I would have is, is put the time up front to really understand what you're doing, why, for who, what's going to cost you, how are you going to make money. And then one thing that I didn't even think about at that time was how do you get out of it? You know, like, what's your exit strategy? Mm-hmm. You should plan that in your initial business plan. Nobody's <laughs> you know? really thinking about Nobody the exit strategy Nobody thinks about how do I end started. my business before I even start it. But if I had to do it over again, I would think about that. I would put some thought into that. Because look at all this equipment that I have. Look at all this inventory. Look at all this stuff. I can't you know, wait to take pictures and just, show our listeners. I can't just unwind this. You know, this is a very difficult. So when you think about succession planning and things like that, you know, like I, this is not going to be a generational business. My daughter wants to. But that's why to you said franchising, this, right? You know, so you've already thought of it. Maybe. But I don't know what's. You know, how do I? How does this business end, or does it end, or does it get sold, or does it get? You know, I don't know. So I didn't even give that one second of thought before I started it. So that's a, you know this having this really good, well thought out business plan that you've run by people that you've you know gotten experts to look at that you've really dug into with some detail, and your financial model should have some detail. Um, it's going to pay off later. I love 100%. it. Hundred percent. Love it. Thank you, wow. Destiny. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. I, I just have to say again, this when I met awesome. you, I loved your name, Destiny, which is beautiful for the way it's, you look at life, and Burns, weird. Firefighter. I mean, you can't beat that name, right? <laughs> I mean, it's wonderful. It's a it's a stage name, for sure. You know, maybe <laughs> stripper name. Yes, yeah, but yes. I married the Burns part. Morgan was my main name. German. Okay, yes. German. But I love the Destiny Burns. I think it's a beautiful... Well, you know, Destiny, when I was growing up here in Cleveland in the you know 60s and 70s, nobody was named Destiny. I was really stood out like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. Everybody was Susie or Anne or Linda or Michelle. Karen, you know, <laughs> and I was Destiny. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until um, Beyonce came on the scene mm-hmm. in Destiny's Child, mm-hmm. that that's when people started to name their kids oh, Destiny. So yeah. when I was in my 30s, there was like these baby Destinies everywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, you yeah. know, finally somebody, you know, yeah. now it's a really cool name, but it was yeah. not cool growing up in, in Ohio with the name Destiny. Yeah. But it, but it fits it you. Made it me suits you perfectly. I, it made me who I am. Yeah. I had to grow into it, right? You are always <laughs> looking towards your destiny, and mm-hmm. I think it's beautiful. I so had to grow into it. Thank you so much for allowing us to come here. And by the way, I have to say, uh, Destiny put together a little uh, um, a gift for us for our nonprofit, which we're going to put into our, our golf outing. Drink so, wine and do good. Yes, I think it's beautiful. Thank you so much for everything. We appreciate you. We can't wait to bring more people here and um that's why we wanted to come to do yeah, the interview let's have here. some more wine your glasses oh, are empty oh yes we will definitely have some more <laughs> wine um well any other things any well, thoughts no, just thank I, you i am leaving inspired yes <laughs> yes thank you thank you we appreciate it all right and to our listeners as we always say stay cheeky